0: Well, if you've got your Bibles, you can go and uh, access those. We're going to be in Matthew 27 today. If uh, if you're not familiar with looking up Scripture, most of it will be on the screen. And uh, we also have a new church app that you can download uh, that has the Scripture and everything in it. And so uh, we'll tell you more about that later. But we're going to be uh, in uh, this story today, uh, this unique story in the Bible, a guy named... Barabbas. But before we jump in, let me tell you this journey that we've been on as a church for the last uh, few months. Today we begin this series centered around this concept of hope. Hope. One of the core beliefs that we have at New City Church is the Christian life ought to be a life that gives you what we say the most pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope. That, that if you're living out the truths of Christ. If you're living out uh, what he has called us to do, you will experience pleasure, peace, meaning, and hope in your life. In the first two months of this uh, This year we've looked at what it means to embrace pleasure and to pursue the desires that God has put in our heart. Then we looked at how do we pursue peace and how do we have these anchors in our souls when it comes to peace that hold us no matter what circumstance comes. And today on this beautiful Easter Sunday, we're going to continue this journey by beginning to wrestle with this idea that every day you and I have a choice to hope. We can choose to have hope in our lives. I remember growing up, one of the things I hoped for the most was Christmas morning. I was a fan of Christmas. I loved Christmas morning. I loved walking down and seeing what Santa had brought. Uh, Santa never wrapped our gifts, so it was like toy store when we walked into our living room. It was like, it was so much going on. I remember one year, hope above hope, there was one thing I wanted, and it was the miniature millennium falcon. From Star Wars. I mean, I, I grew up in that age. I grew up when that was it. And and I was hoping, I told my parents, I told Santa, I told everybody that I could that I wanted the Millennium Falcon. Well, my parents had told me it just didn't look like that was going to happen this year. They were like, you know, laying the ground. I was like, man, I was so just upset. I, I was losing hope that that Christmas morning that the Millennium Falcon would be down there. And I got that few days leading up to Christmas. I was just, I was like bummed. My most favorite day of the year. I was like, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. And that Christmas morning about five o'clock, I come running downstairs and there were a bunch of other toys there. I don't quite remember what they were, but I remember over in the corner was the Millennium Falcon and I was like my hope was renewed. I was like so excited. I'd been dreading it for days but that day my hope was renewed and I'd realized something that day and we realize something every day. I choose to whether I have hope or not. It's not based on circumstance. I get to choose whether that do that. I want to I tell you something that's common about every person sitting in this room. Every person sitting here Today, we'll face some kind of temptation, fear, trial, failure, struggle, shortcomings, disruption, or challenges in your life. It's just going to happen. We'll all have experiences that will either put us face-to-face with a decision that we can either choose hope or despair. We can choose hope or regret, hope or shame, hope or doubt, hope or discouragement, hope or betrayal, hope or sorrow, hope or desperation, Hope or whatever the other choice is. So I want to start off our talk this morning in this series today with a very simple truth. You and I, I want you to hear this, have the God-given ability to choose to have hope. To choose to have hope. Hope isn't something that is given, discovered, or developed. There's no secret formula, some special saying that will make you suddenly have hope in your life. It's a choice that you make. Hope isn't a future or some far-off idea that's based on investments that we make today. Hope is experienced now, every day, every moment, but we have to choose it daily and at every moment. Hope isn't based on circumstances. There isn't more of it when the markets are up and less of it when the markets are down. It doesn't flourish when my relationships are steady and it doesn't disappear when they sour. It's a choice. Hope isn't found in fame, prestige, honor. We don't get more hope in our lives as our popularity on Facebook or Instagram grows, and we don't lose hope as we lose followers. It doesn't go that way. Hope isn't about health and happiness. Instead, hope is found in something else. And I want you to hear a verse of Scripture today that will be key in helping us in this series to understand what hope is. And it's found in Isaiah 40, verse 30 and 31. And it says this, Even youths grow tired and weary. Young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. The concept that this writer of the Old Testament brings here is this idea when you and I finally choose to choose hope from our Creator, from the Lord, it actually energizes us. It brings energy into our lives. It says here, look, you can have youth, you can have charisma, you can have passion, but guess what? Those things will fail you. I'm a living example of that. I can't do things that I used to do 10 years ago, 20 years ago. I remember when PJ got old enough, my son got old enough to play like basketball in the backyard. I loved playing him. One, because I could beat him, right? I mean, but it was something we could do together. And uh, we would play and play, and if you've seen my son now, he's like three or four inches taller than me. And I remember it was about ninth grade or end of eighth grade, that he almost beat me. Like, it was real close. It was like a last-second layup that I'm like, I'm pretty sure I fouled him, I pushed him out of the way, but, but I beat him, and I made a decision that day. I'm not playing P.J. in basketball anymore. I'm going out on top. I will not let my youth fail me. I'm holding on to this. But you know that if you're, if you're at any stage, like, beyond youth here, you realize your life's not what it used to be. They don't sustain you. And trying to find hope in our own strength and your own abilities is self-defeating. It doesn't work. We aren't perfect. We never will be. And when we put the pressure on ourselves to try to be perfect so that we can have hope, it's more debilitating than it is empowering. But hope in the Lord, it says, will renew your strength. Choosing to find hope outside of ourselves and the one created us, who knows us, who has a deep love for us, and we'll walk through any circumstance to bring good into our lives, this is where true hope is found. It says that we will soar on wings like eagles. It means even at your best, when things are great at your highest, he will take you higher. It says hope in him will take you higher. It says if you're running, if, you're, if it's a struggle in your life, it says even though you may tire, you will not faint. You will keep going. Even in your struggles, he will keep you going. And then it says when you walk, you won't faint you won't lose heart even when you barely have the strength to make it through the day to walk through a day his hope sustains us so how do i do this how do i choose hope how do we stop looking to situations circumstances personal traits the view of other people and instead start looking to try to find hope in the lord the one that we celebrate his resurrection today the truth is though this has been an issue since the beginning of history it's been a challenge since the very first choice that mankind had before them. The problem isn't that we don't have the ability to choose, is that the desires that we allow to determine our choices lead us in wrong directions. Think back to the very beginning. Adam and Eve were told not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It wasn't that the other choices were bad. God had put a lot of other trees out in this garden, beautiful trees, trees that would give them life. There weren't bad choices. And it wasn't that the choices Of opposing God was was good. He told him, if you eat of this tree, you will die. He's like, this is a bad tree. Don't eat of it. But yet they chose to try to find hope in something besides God. The driving force behind their choice was the idea that they could be equal to God, that they could become God, like God, similar to God. It is what is at the heart of every choice that we make. We want to make ourselves God. Why don't we choose to find hope in the Lord? Because we think we are a better choice. We think we make a better God. And I'll be honest with you. This shows up in my life all the time. I'm not really a big fan of submitting to authority. And uh, I like, I think most of us are honest in here. I saw some people tapping and nudging other people in here. If, If we're honest with ourselves, it's not that we're rule breakers or rule keepers. We like to be rule makers. That's our job. We like, we like to make the rules, especially when it's related to my life and, and our situations. My mom was definitely about rule following in our home. Times that we had to be home, where we could be, what we had to do. And I had this friend one time show up to our house and uh, he, he had decided that we were going out. I hadn't really even talked to him about him. He just showed up. and So he's talking. We're sitting in our kitchen and he tells my mom, hey, Patrick and I are going out. We'll be back around one or two. And she's like, excuse me, who, who are you and who put you in charge of this house? And I just started backing up a little bit because I knew my mom and I'm like, this is not going to end well for my friend. Suffice it to say, I did not go out with him that night. And, uh, you know, but he thought he could make the rules. It was up to him. That's not the case. We, but that's what we feel. The truth is every day, every situation, we have the opportunity to choose where we will look to hope. Will it be ourself or the Lord? Do I look in or do I look up? And this is where faith comes in. I don't believe that any of us in this room can find lasting hope that abides through any circumstance as long as we look inside and live without faith in anything beyond ourselves. In my life, I have to be able to embrace faith, and I've learned to do this by just following some simple thoughts in my life that I've captured over the years. I want to share these with you briefly this morning before we jump into the text. How do I live by faith? Well first thing is this I admit that I'm not God. I admit there is a God and I'm not Him. That sounds simple, but it's necessary. I can't choose the Lord if I still think I am the Lord, that I'm the author of all wisdom, that I know best. But the second thing, if, if there is a God and I admit there's a God and I'm not him, then I begin to adhere. I adhere to his teachings and his directions. I follow his commands and I begin to believe they are the best for me, even if I don't understand them or agree with them at times. When it says to love your enemy, I'm like, I don't agree with that, God. Like that's not something I want to do, but I try to adhere to it. If he's God and I'm not, I want to listen to him. And then I do this. I try to then to adjust my character and my behavior and my attitudes to be impacted as I see truth begin to play out in my life. As I actually begin to adhere things that he teaches and I see change happens, my character adjusts. And this is where I end up. Then I abandon. I abandon any thought of taking back control of my life. I have such faith in him at that point because I've come to this belief and understanding that he is the wise one. He is the one that brings true fe- peace and hope into my life. This is how I choose hope in the Lord. It's an active, continual process. But that then brings us to a next question, which is this. If we're supposed to choose hope, what is hope, right? I mean, that's that's a nice word. We know some people named that, but but what is hope? In the last two series, we, we've learned that true pleasure eventually led us to satisfaction and true peace led us to contentment. And in this series, we're going to learn that true hope leads us in a couple directions. And first, it leads us to security. Security. Hope is the ability to feel secure, safe, protected, guarded, and strong no matter our station or situation in life. Hope gave us a firm foundation on which we can build every aspect of who we are, what we do, and how we view other people and circumstances, The book of Hebrews gives us, gives us an understanding of the second thing of what hope is. It describes us as this anchor for our soul. We just sang a song about that. And this is a powerful image. Hope isn't just a positive outlook on the world. It's this, It's a confidence in what's ahead. A confidence in the security of my soul. Confidence in my future, my position before God, my value, and my worth. And this is why hope can't be found in us. We cannot anchor our souls to ourselves. We have to find a steady and sure source, and that only comes from the Lord. So this sounds beautiful, magnificent, compelling. So why has every human in all of history struggled with this? Why don't we just, oh yeah, let's anchor our soul to our creator? And I think it's because there are some key barriers that repeatedly crop up in our life, and over the next four weeks, we're going to take a look at each of these four barriers that keep hope, keep us from choosing hope, and keep us, make us start losing hope. And we're going to start doing this by looking at an example of Jesus Christ. But we're not going to look at Jesus at the best time of his life. We're actually going to look at his example during the most difficult days of his life, during the time that he was betrayed, arrested, that he was falsely charged, that he was deserted and denied by his friends, beaten within an inch of his life, mocked, crucified, and rejected by those that he came to serve and love. In the very worst days of his life, he didn't just experience hope, he showed hope. So we're going to look at these four interactions, and the first one we're going to look at today is his interaction with the religious leaders and this guy named Barabbas. This is a, a man who stood beside Jesus, if you're familiar with the story on the day that he was arrested and it seemed in many ways a complete opposite to Jesus he had been arrested like him and was most likely facing a death, th- death sentence he was hopeless look at Matthew twenty-seven fifteen through 17 and we see the first mention of it here and it says now at the feast and the feast was the feast of the Passover the governor who was Pilate was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner who they wanted and they had them a notorious prisoner called Barabbas So when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? Now, before we continue forward in this story, I think it's important to understand how we got here. This is a monumental moment in history. Jesus and Barabbas are standing before the crowd on the eve of Jesus' crucifixion. How did we get here? If you go back just a few chapters, you're going to see something that Jesus began to do. Jesus, you see, in, in many ways... Uh, the religious leaders of that day were unhappy with Jesus. In chapter 23, while Jesus was teaching his disciples in the crowd, he basically pronounced seven woes on the religious leaders. He called them out. He said he was doing his best to basically undercut their spiritual authority. The pastors and priests of that day, Jesus was saying, you guys are getting it wrong. You're, you're missing the mark. You're not pointing people toward God. You're turning people toward a religious Practice, And he was undercutting their spiritual authority. In the next chapter after that, he goes on to talk about destroying the temple, the center of religious activity. To put it simply, he was not making nice with the religious leaders of that day. And as this story unfolds, we read about the religious leaders plotting against Jesus, trying to trick him into saying something that he would reject or, or putting him in a situation where we have to do something to make the crowd turn against him. They were trying to get their position of power back. They felt that they had been wrong, and they had been wanting things to be made right. And when these traps didn't trip Jesus up, they moved on to something more sinister, and they began to plan his death. Matthew 26, 1 and 2 says this. When Jesus had finished all these sayings, everything that he'd been saying about the, the religious leaders, then the chief priests and the elders of the people gathered in a palace, of the high priest whose name is Caiaphas and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. He's a guy cutting at their livelihood, pointing out what was wrong in their lives and they were ready to put him to death. And so what did the religious leaders do? They bribed one of Jesus' followers to let them know his name was Judas. They wanted to ask Judas to let them know when they could come arrest Jesus when he was away from the crowds, away from the center of the city away from all the commotion when they could come and arrest him in secret. And the moment was right. The moment happened to be the night after the Passover meal was observed in Jerusalem. And all the people were in their homes. Just to give you an idea, the Passover meal is one of the most sacred nights in Jerusalem. People had the meal in their home. They were basically locked in their home. And after their meal, they would spend the evening praying specific prayers related to the Passover. And so everyone was in their home. And if you know the story of Jesus and his disciples, they had eaten their Passover dinner. And then they went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray, to do what was right in the religious eyes. And so that moment was right. All the people were in their home, and the the religious leaders said that they needed to do this, doing what they needed to do on Passover, and the leaders sneak out in the middle of the night, connect with Judas, and bring with them a bunch of people to arrest Jesus while he was doing what he said that they should be doing, which is praying. The irony of this moment is heavy. The religious leaders are breaking many of their own rules in order to execute what they think is justice on Jesus by dealing with a threat threat to their rules their regulations and their perceived authority and what happened judas approaches jesus he kisses him and the leaders rush in they crowd around him and they arrest him and they think they are executing justice but instead they are actually fighting against the very source of hope that they have been longing for their entire life they arrest him they then take jesus before the high priest this guy named caiaphas and while he's there they accuse him of blasphemy. They try to trick him with his own words. They bring false witnesses in. And in doing this, they decide to ask the Roman governor for the execution of Jesus as a threat to the Roman Empire and the Roman authority. And that's what we see in Matthew 27, 1 and 2. It says, when morning came, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. And we're getting close to catching back up to the story because then Jesus finds himself before Pilate, this Roman governor. But Pilate was no fool. He quickly determined that Jesus was innocent, that he was not a threat to the Roman Empire, but that he had gone through a sham of a religious trial to try to show them that he was actually a threat to their religion and not to Rome. So Pilate had a plan. Use this custom of releasing a prisoner to the people during the feast of the Passover. It's an easy choice, Jesus. Surely the people would have to choose Jesus. Just days before, Pilate had heard the people crying Hosanna as Jesus was marching into Jerusalem. He he presents these two men to the crowd, Jesus and Barabbas, a notorious criminal, an easy choice. But just like choosing hope in the Lord over ourselves, the choice was not so easy. When we look at this story, when it says in verse 17, so when they gathered and Pilate said to them, who do you want me to release to you? Barabbas, or Jesus who is called to Christ, it would seem like an easy choice. But let's talk about a minute about who is Barabbas. This isn't, there isn't much that we know about this man. We find some other words to describe him, some other accounts in Jesus' crucifixion, and there's basically three words we know about him. He was listed as a robber, a murderer, and an insurrectionist. By all accounts, both biblically and historically, Barabbas would be best known as what would be a Jewish freedom fighter that was trying to overthrow the Roman government and their control in Jerusalem. He had been arrested and imprisoned not by the Jewish leaders like Jesus was. He had been arrested by the Roman Empire. This was a man who certainly did bad things, but probably would not be surprised to know that many there, many of the Jewish leaders probably had a hidden joy about what Barabbas was doing. The name Barabbas also has a pretty unique meaning. The name means, it's two words put together, it's Bar and Abba. If you know that word, Bar means son of, and Abba means father or man. And so his name is literally meant son of a a man, or son of some man. This could be interpreted to mean that he was an orphan, or his mother could not accurately determine who his father was. There were stories all throughout occupied Jerusalem of jewish women being taken advantage of by roman soldiers and we, we could take liberty here and say that he was a jewish man with that was a product of roman occupation he may have been fighting for the injustice that he had personally experienced his his behavior may have been motivated but desire to see rome and their crimes to bring justice to them and this is where we see an interesting part of the story matthew 27 20 and 21 says this now the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas instead of Jesus, to find hope in a son of man versus in Jesus, the son of God. The governor again said to them, which of these two do you want me to release to you? And then they said this, and they add this word in in Matthew, in the old uh, scriptures, it says that his name was actually Jesus, Barabbas. The crowd here, I want you to see, was not the same as the crowd had been cheering on Jesus earlier. By most accounts, Jesus had been arrested overnight, had been brought before the high priest in the morning, and now he was standing before Pilate sometime between 6 and 8 in the morning. Those who had practiced Passover were still in their homes. Those who had cheered on Jesus had no idea that Jesus had been arrested and uh, was standing before Pilate and was, was just moments away from being sentenced to death. The crowd that was there was placed there by the religious leaders because they wanted things to move back to the way that they were. So the crowd surprised Pilate. And they called for the release of Barabbas. But here, as again in most old manuscripts, his name is not just Barabbas, it's listed as Jesus Barabbas. And while Jesus was a common name, I think it's interesting to see the contrast we have before these two choices that are standing here. Jesus the Christ and Jesus Barabbas. You have Jesus Barabbas, the son of a man, Jesus the Christ, the son of God. You have Barabbas, a man who wages war for the cause to exact justice on his enemies, and Christ, who has been known to show love to his enemies, to provide grace for the guilty and mercy for the wicked. Barabbas, who is a representative of how the religious leaders wanted to establish God's kingdom, and Jesus, a man who is the literal embodiment of the hope of the world. You had Barabbas, the hope of men found in a man. And then you had Jesus, the hope for men found in their Creator, God. Barabbas, an instrument of justice, and Jesus, an instrument of peace. Now, maybe if you were there, like it's going to say in Matthew 27, 22, and 23, if, if you would have been there, and Pilate said to them again, Then what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? And they all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, why, what evil has he done? And they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. You know, it's very easy in this moment to say that I would have been cheering for Jesus the Christ, not Jesus Barabbas. But be careful, because what these people were actually calling for in that moment was justice. They view Jesus as a threat to their lives, to their establishment. And I want you to hear this. Jesus is a threat to our life and our establishment, because he will transform who we are, He will change the way we think. He will move us from hopeless and hope in a man to hope and hope and creator and our God. He was trying to move them, not to threaten them, but to move them to a new level of understanding. Barabbas was a proven freedom fighter. If we can get rid of, writ, writ of one threat and get somebody back like Barabbas, let's do that. But I want you to hear something this morning. And why it's important to choose hope over justice because justice isn't always the right choice Je- jesus had many chances in the story to cry out to expose the leaders to use his supernatural powers to elevate his authority as a form of justice but instead he chose hope we think that when justice is served then everything will go back to the way it was but this isn't true When we have been wronged, hurt, manipulated, attacked, abused, abandoned, seeking only justice doesn't take away the pain, and it doesn't bring back what once was. Justice is not a source of hope. It's a source of punishment. And I want you to hear clearly this morning, justice isn't wrong. It's just often a barrier for you and I to get past, to actually experience hope. We we become content with justice. And somebody paying the same pain I felt instead of getting past that and having hope. Jesus didn't come to bring hope. Or Jesus didn't come to bring justice. Instead, he came to sacrifice himself so that you and I would have to experience, not experience the justice and the judgment of God. And you and I could have hope for all of our life. Jesus came to live a life completely free of injustice so that when he willingly sacrificed himself for us on that cross, the power of hope could be overwhelmed in our desire, bigger than our desire for justice. As we close, maybe you're wondering like I am, whatever happened to Barabbas? What happened to Barabbas? How do we respond? How did he respond? How did he change his ways? Did he become a follower of Christ? Did his life get turned around? Did he now start doing something that nobody else did? The truth is this, we don't know. I can imagine that Barabbas had at least one thought that all of us should have, and it's this. Who is this Jesus Christ? Who is this man? Who is this? Who is this innocent man that would choose to die in place of me? Who is this man who didn't demand justice, but instead brought hope into my life when I felt hopeless? Who is this man that would show this kind of love to me even when I am siding with his enemies? This man is Jesus Christ, the hope of the world, the hope of your world. Barabbas may have been the first recipient of hope found in the sacrificial death of Jesus. But I want you to hear something this morning. He certainly is not the last. You and I have the same hope and love available to us today the same transforming power of Christ that moved Barabbas from a hopeless situation in a world that was looking for hope in a man to finding hope in their creator and in God. The truth is this. You and I today, we're Barabbas. We live our life trying to find hope in something other than God. And today, would we quiet our souls, still our minds on this Easter Sunday morning enough to listen and experience the hope of salvation. Would you pray with me?